try not to, although very difficult, try not to assume you understand. Try not to assume that you know how things are done. Try not to assume what the problems are, what people want, what people need. I would say the key, the number one key takeaway is ask. Welcome back to this week's episode of The High Performance Leader, the podcast for leaders working in complex, challenging environments to gain insights and ideas which help you increase your impact without burning out and to help you build a high-performance culture in your team. I'm your host, Jimmy Burrows, and if you're new to The High Performance Leader, make sure you subscribe or follow so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes before you put down your device. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode. I am absolutely thrilled this week to be joined by the incredible Amanda A. Russo. Amanda is the founder and chief operating officer of an incredible little boutique agency called the Cornerstone Paradigm Consulting Business. She has had such an incredible career honing her skills in process improvement, really gaining a deep understanding of end-to-end business operations, and now works with a variety of industries aligning people, processes, and technology. We're going to find out some fascinating stuff today about some of the projects that she has worked on and how they've helped businesses perform better and how that she has partnered with leadership teams to create some incredible business results. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jimmy. It's, um, you know, I think people really underestimate the power of getting under the hood and doing some process improvement. How did you end up in this world? Oh, my gosh. So, Jimmy, it's really funny. I just came to this, like, conclusion not too long ago on how it all started, which I don't know that I realized until, like, quite recently. So... The seed was really planted when I was just a teenager working a part-time job. And, uh, you know, it was a small restaurant, local restaurant in high school, you know, kind of helping out. And at the time, I didn't realize, you know, I was really just trying to be helpful and resourceful. And at the time, I didn't realize that as I was helping these business owners kind of manage and run the day-to-day business, even though it was really quite small scale, uh, you know, it was a small mom and pop shop, I didn't realize that I was learning about things like supply chain and rolling inventory and what does that all mean and how do we get from one day to the next and how do we you know essentially run a business that was really like my first real exposure to running a business and from there you know I had a really natural sort of I sort of gravitated toward it so I you know here I am oh many many moons later um you know professionally doing this so so interesting that these foundational experiences that we have in our youth end up driving the path that we chart as adults. And, you know, as you say, now you do this professionally for organizations. Why do you think there is a need for a process consulting organization to come in and partner with businesses? What's the performance opportunity that they're looking for that you go help with? Yeah. So organizations usually hire someone like me and my team when something is happening. So that is when something is really positive happening. We've scaled 5X over the last two years, whatever it might be. And now everyone's kind of drinking from the fire hose and you know we need to really get some standardization and processes in place so that there is consistency from inception of, the, of a project to the, to the end of a project. 
you know, or if people are going on holiday or they're going, you know, uh, on leave, some kind of leave, a long extended period of leave, your colleagues will know how you do whatever it is that you do and, and the business can s- still go on. Or the opposite, which is unfortunately more common, which is we've either got high attrition, a bleeding bottom line, you know, something in the negative is happening to the business. And what we've seen a lot of the times leading up to talking to someone like us is business leaders have already tried to, we call it DIY. And I I hate to say it, it's, you know, it sounds a little bit like a home improvement project, but they kind of try to DIY it, you know, Um, they try to, you know, pull all the tools out of the toolbox that they know how to do. You know, we're going to buy new software. We're going to buy this. We're going to, and usually the software is something popular, you know, a common name that we all know. You know, so they, they do. And 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 I, I appreciate the effort to try to fix these problems, but it's kind of like treating a symptom and not really understanding what the problem is. And so the game here is, the way I like to word it is the gain here is the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So you're either going to solve the problem, get to the very root cause of whatever the problem is, and it could be multiple problems, multi-layer, or you're going to just keep kind of throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it and kind of hope something sticks, which will cost you an enormous amount of money, potentially you know, loyal customers, great employees. It, there's, there's a very really high cost to doing it the latter. So, you know, why not just hire someone? You spend a little bit of money up front, but the ROI pays for itself. Mm. So I'm sorry for the winded answer to you. Not at all, no. And and I guess there'll be some leaders listening who have potentially worked with consultants or worked with one of the big four companies they were brought in to, to make change or to transform that organization. And maybe it's gone well, maybe it hasn't gone well. How does what your offering does differ to an organization that might partner with, you know, a BCG or a PwC? Yeah. So here's here's what I, and I and I don't want to leave you with the impression that I don't like any of the big four. That's that's not the case. But here's what I will say. I don't have such a large overhead right? So we're only as good as our last win. There's an old saying, you've probably heard this, no one's ever gotten fired for hiring, you know, or buying Apple or whatever it is, right? Like, so it feels safe to do those things. And I understand that. But we don't hire college graduates. We're not going to be the team that's going to tell you the things that you want to hear. Because my reputation relies on it. I'm telling you, we're going to solve your business issues. We're going to get to the root cause. We're going to get to the bottom of it, come up with a solution roadmap and get you to where you're looking to go. I have to stick to that plan. I have to prove to you that you've made the right decision because I'm such a small company. We're such an intimate company, 20, 25 consultants altogether with my contractors and stuff that we don't have a choice but to deliver what we say we're going to deliver, right? Because there's no, I don't have a title you know, a big, one of the big four names above me to sort of be the cushion under my bottom, right? So our offering is different in that you are getting experts with 20 plus, some 20 plus years experience each collectively working together to solve your problem as opposed to, and I'm not knocking it, everyone has to learn somewhere, but as opposed to college or university graduates 
learning on the job. There's a difference, right? I won't say that we're the most expensive, but we're not the cheapest either. So you're really paying for our expertise and not, you know, folks learning on the job, which it's fine. It's just, it's just not our model. I, I, I'm really, I'm hearing potentially some conversations that you may have had with organizations where they have previously partnered with these larger consulting firms and maybe it hasn't gone right. Why do you think that there is a, a leaning towards let's go big four or let's go, let's go large consulting firm as opposed to partnering with a, a, a more boutique agency? I think it's safe. It feels safe. It's why you buy a, a big name brand television or watch or whatever it is, like these really big purchases, phone, because it feels safe. You feel like you know the name, you trust the name. It doesn't mean that that the smaller brands or the names that are virtually unknown are not great or sometimes even better than the larger name, but I think the big names, they feel safe. It doesn't mean that it's, it's a great strategy. It just, you know, it's an easier way to pass the buck right? Like I didn't do it. I hired, you know, big four and they did it. You know, they're the ones that, you know, so it's easier to, it's easier to pass the buck and not get fired. So it sounds like there's two barriers to really getting to the root cause of some of these issues. Number one is the, we think we can do it ourselves and we have the skills that we need in-house uh, and we don't want to spend the money. And then right. if we admit that we can't do it ourselves, that's a failure on our part. But then the only option is to is to partner with a, a larger organization because that's safe. When you tend to partner with organizations, what's your first kind of few steps of your process to to get to the root cause of the issue? What do you start looking for? Yeah, so I think, you know, really running an organization, process improvement, it's kind of all interconnected, right? And so our very first, first of all, we have an agreement with leadership and stakeholders that when you are hiring folks like us, we do want to engage stakeholders. Of course, we want to engage leaders. We want to hear what they have to say. You know, it is their project. It's their baby. It's it's how they grow their resume, right? Essentially. And that's essentially what larger organizations are looking to do, leaders are looking to do. Um, But we have an agreement with them that they will not try to interrupt the process. And the process consists of us having and spending an enormous amount of time with the doers, the boots on the ground, the frontline folks, the folks that are in the day-to-day weeds, that are facing off with your customer, that are using the technology that you're purchasing and in and out of, right, that are inputting data into these different pieces of technology. Those are the people that we spend an enormous amount of time with because they're using it every day. They're seeing really what's going on every day. And really, this is a matter of, so my team and I and folks like me are skilled and trained in listening. So it really boils back down to listening. It's listening to what people are saying listening with your eyes, listening to what they're not saying, trying to understand where the fear comes in. So it's a really, it's, it's, um, it's a very delicate, and I would say it can be a little bit longer of a process our way, but it helps us gain buy-in our approach. And it also, you know, helps us get to the root cause, right? Because they'll be very candid with us. 
I love that. And you, you talk about going to the place where the work is done versus just talking to the leadership team. Why is that so important? Surely the leaders know what's going on in their business and they understand all of the detail and what all the problems are. Yeah, um, I would say yes. I think when you're on a leadership, when you're in a leadership role or on the leadership level, there is a level of the business pain that you understand. Of course, your team is telling you, but there are also things that they're not telling you. Some of it might be, this is just the way we do business. This is just how we get from one day to the next. And some of it is, you know, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to get fired. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lose my job. I, this is how I pay my bills. This is how I put food on my table and feed my family. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut and get from one day to the next because I need this job. So they're not going to tell you, but my team and I will go in and we will really, you know, really start from the very beginning as if we were a new employee ourselves. Understand the business because we've seen it a thousand times. So it's important to really listen ask questions, observe, pay attention, and do all of the other things that folks like myself are trained to do to understand the business from their perspective. Yeah. Will we take all of it? No, but it's important for folks to, to feel heard. Right. So, From my experience, when you go talk to the people who are doing the job, actually you can get a, a slightly different perspective on what the core issues are versus what the perception of the core issues are because often leadership are shielded from the reality of the situation or what might be happening there, right? Yeah, exactly. So as an employee, you're doing everything to try not to get in trouble, to get a raise, to get a bonus, right? So you're, you know, you're going to tolerate things on the doer level or the frontline level that let's say a leader would not. I also, I also would caution to say Leaders, in most cases, in most cases that I've seen, and I'm doing this forever, but in most cases I have seen leaders tell me the story of how it is done. And if I challenge them and say, okay, well, if I, if I sit you in this seat, you're going to be able to do this exactly how you just told me, chances are they will not. If I really call their bluff and put them in that seat, they will not be able to do it. Genuinely, they will not be able to do it without help. Uh, so that's why we say we don't really... We, we do want to engage the stakeholders. We do want to, you know, engage leadership. Um, but it is really, really important for them to not interfere with our process in truly understanding how the business is run because they're running the business at a high level. They're not running the business from, you know, for a very frontline perspective, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I think having that authentic and transparent view on the actual business process, what's really happening, and then being able to go back to the leadership team and explain why that solution that may be a Band-Aid solution isn't working, can build trust and can really help to move things forward. Hey, Jimmy here. Just wanted to drop into this episode and let you know that we're so grateful for all of those reviews that you as listeners leave on our podcast. We put our hearts and souls into the podcast and the guests we invite are absolutely fantastic. I wanted to share one review with you from a recent episode from Kelly. Jimmy's experience and thoughtful dialogue provide a phenomenal canvas of learning opportunities from thought leaders in the industry. 
It was a pleasure both listening and participating. What a great resource to learn valuable tips and tricks to navigating impactful leadership capabilities. So not only are we thrilled to have incredible guests on the show, but we're also absolutely overjoyed that it's having a positive impact on our listeners like you on the Ways of Working podcast. Speak soon. Where do you tend to encounter resistance once you've identified what the root cause is? And we've come up with this great change process that's going to shift the business forward. And people say, oh, no, uh, we don't need to do that or don't want to do that. Can you give us an example of where this has happened? Because I think it happens quite a lot in organizations. It happens every time. So I get a lot of resistance, you know, one, when leadership on any level tries to interfere with the process. And the resistance comes in where we identify a gap or we identify an issue that their team has shared with us and we've seen it with our own eyes and leadership just says, well, this is why we did, you know, and they start to make excuses on why this happens and why we do it this way and so on and so forth. And where my team and I have been in hospital networks all the way down to your, you know, 20 20 person team, you know, not for profit, right? We've seen this a thousand times over and it's not the way we do business. It's just, it doesn't have to be is the point. Um, So we get a lot of resistance from fear. A lot of resistance in general comes from fear, whether it's from an employee level or a leadership level, fear. Change is hard and it's scary and we don't know what's going to happen and what's going to happen to my job, what's going to happen to me, imposter syndrome shows up, even leaders all the way up to the C-suite, they still face imposter syndrome. And and so it's, you know, it's a delicate situation to be in. We try our very best to deliver, like I said, we back our, our findings up with facts from the organization. We try to use all of the tools that we know to use and, you know, and it's understandable. So we, we try to be as patient as we possibly can as far as delivering the not so great news that, you know, no, your team isn't online shopping, that they're actually, you know, moving like robots to try to keep up with all of this. And, and so, so the, I think the resistance comes in when all of the leadership isn't on board with this is going to happen. We do need to change. We do need to improve. We will be replacing your homegrown system. That was your baby. And you, you know, you right. You've added the, you know, you, you were there from the very, very beginning, um, that kind of thing. And, and so it typically is uh, the job of us to, 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 to continue with the change management, which we start from the very beginning of a project and then just being patient with change. Right. So talking it through, understanding their fears, understanding what's going on, reiterating, you know, that this is really to improve the organization rather than, you know, we've tried to focus on what you're going to gain rather than what you're going to lose. If that makes sense. So Amanda, I mean, this is just so interesting how leadership teams can react to the good news or the bad news being shared about what's going on. But also I'm sure that there is a reaction from the shop floor staff, the people who the change is maybe happening to or happening with. Um, can you give us an example where you've worked with a client and there's been some resistance, how you manage that and how the leadership team were integral in supporting that change process? Yes, I have a great example for that. So um, many, many years ago, we worked with a law firm and you know, the legal industry is really 
there's not a ton of change there, right? Like it's a pretty standard, it's a pretty standard process. This particular law firm was growing and evolving and pretty innovative, frankly, for, for the space. And long story short, when we implemented quite a number of pieces of technology to kind of help the organization, one, stay organized as they were growing and evolving with document repository systems. We'll just use that as, as, as the first example. Um, we did. We did receive a lot of you know, resistance. Like I said, the legal industry has very little change. You know, I mean, as long as I can remember, it's, it, it's really not, not an evolving space. But there are a lot of tools and resources to help help them, help the legal um, secretaries, help, you know, uh, paralegals and so on and so forth. And so this particular resistance was from, um, she, she's a legal secretary at the time. I want to say she probably was in, in the, in the role for 40 years, right. Or something, something wild, like she's, she's seen it. Um, so from the day of typewriters, you know, that kind of thing. And here we are, you know, these, these young folks are coming in and we're implementing all this technology and she, does not want to use it. And the truth of the matter is, is anytime we see resistance, there's fear behind it. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my job? I'm not going to know how to use this. They're going to get rid of me. You know, the whole, there's, there's a story that you start to craft in your mind. Anytime change is about to happen, either even change that you want. Instantly, I mean, and this person, she gave me a hard time to say the least. And um, I knew I knew she was terrified. And so really, when we implemented, you know, the software and um, everything was up and running, she wasn't using it. And the folks that she worked for weren't using it. And so I said, OK, well, now I'm going to have to be a little bit heavy handed. And in this particular instance, I actually removed the rights from everyone's computer to save anything to their desktop it would automatically save to their, to the repository that we put in. So it was a little bit heavy handed. I mean, at the time it was, I, I really didn't have a choice because the, the point was is important documents were going out to let's say the Supreme Court that were inaccurate because people were saving it to their desktop, so on and so forth. So uh, long story short with this one, I, I was very heavy handed with that one, forced the whole company so no more fixing your resume at work, no more, right? But all the work that they were doing had to be saved to this repository or it wouldn't save at all. And, you know, I went over and I sat with her and spent an enormous amount of time, like hours, days, if not, with her, just making sure that she understood how to use it, how to use the search function. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it worked. She was, she was terrified. She was terrified. The folks that she, the attorneys that she worked for were terrified. No one know, knew how to use it. And, um, you know, I think the whole idea of this new innovative thing was just scary. So, you know, you do a little bit of handholding. You, you spend a little extra time just to sort of mitigate the fear, mitigate the anxiety. It's, you know, yeah. So, so sometimes that's necessary. You need that. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a really interesting observation that you see resistance is often the root cause of that resistance is in some sort of fear. So leadership teams need to work really hard on building that environment of trust so people can voice their fears and yep. they can work with people like you to 
to overcome the the barriers that might be getting in the way of the change because often it's very difficult for leadership teams if they aren't aware of what the root cause of those fears are again it becomes a band-aid solution or it becomes yes we've done the implementation and it bounces out because people are really resistant to it i can imagine now we're seeing what you were talking about as resistance to essentially using a computer we're seeing some some process challenges come up in organizations now based on the last three or four years worth of incredible changes in the world. Yes. What are you predicting are the things that leadership teams should be aware of when they're looking at their own processes and to start thinking about you know, what's coming up for us that we might want to start paying yeah. attention to? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, so process improvement, it is a multi-layer exercise, right? And so process improvement is not just fixing the processes, automating things, stacking technology. Process improvement also sort of bleeds into something called business continuity planning, which plans for pandemics, flood, fire, right? Inclement weather, right? Like it plans for all of these natural and accidental disasters that no one predicts is going to happen. I mean, if someone told any one of us that the whole world was going to shut down for several years and we were all going to work from home. I'm positive. Like people would look at you like you are upside down and it happened. You know, we've had natural disasters that have wiped out entire towns. And so here's what I would say is process improvement in and of itself is a great exercise. It's, it's, it's important, but it's also a way for you to plan if your contact center is hit by lightning or flooded, is totally underwater, how do you still run your business, which sounds a little bit cold, but let me just finish the thought. How do you still run the business? How do you still serve your customers with business continuity planning? How do you still serve your customers while making sure that your employees know what to do if, God forbid, a disaster happens, if an accidental or uh, natural disaster happens. So it's it sort of kind of goes in tandem. It's process improvement to fix the immediate, but it's also to plan for the future. It's to make the future possible, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say, right? Like, so you can't have people saving things from their desktop, on their desktops or or whatever it might be. You may not have a desktop. So are you backing it up to the cloud? Are you still using physical server? Like there's all, all kinds of continuity planning that goes sort of in tandem with process improvement. It's just process improvement is the first step in sort of the larger picture of running a business. I'm really fascinated by that idea of business continuity planning and all the things that have yeah. happened and potentially more things that might happen in the future. I come at it from a slightly different angle in the the war for talent or the need to try and attract and retain amazing people. And if your organization is frustrating your employees with cumbersome processes, over-egged bureaucracy, decision-making processes that take forever, those amazing people are going to leave and go somewhere else. So thinking about what can we do to simplify the job for our best people where are our people getting yeah. stuck or hung up or or blocked uh, that to me feels like a really great place to start as well right yeah i mean it really you know i think any organization any leader that might be listening to this today it's it's really a matter of how are we setting our people up for success 
Are we giving them all the tool, all of the tools and resources that they need to be successful? Are we investing in them, in their training, in their development? Are we investing in their, you know, in 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 the workplace culture, which goes far beyond, you know, pizza parties and pool tables and whatever else everybody, you know, these these companies have in their in their business. It's just really holistically setting people up for success. And are we doing that? So yes, that is a great opportunity for process improvement and process improvement, although multi-layer, it's it's a good place to start. Fabulous, Amanda. Thank you. That is really interesting. Couple of last questions for you. Yeah. If you were to offer a key takeaway to our listeners that we've spoken about, about everything we've spoken about today, what would that be? The key takeaway here is a suggestion. It would be to try not to, although very difficult, try not to assume you understand. Try not to assume that you know you don't how how things are done. Try not to assume what the problems are, what people want, what people need. The number one key takeaway is ask. Ask your team. Assuming is frankly where a lot of the problems begin. It's just assuming. Even if you are watching them in the office every single day, you know how, you know, you hear them on the phone, you know how they do their, you're still assuming because you're not him or her. Even though you're watching them, you're not really understanding how they do things and why they do things the way that they do things. Yeah. You know, there's a whole, they've already come up with the science on how they're going to do something and get it done in a timely manner. You won't see that because they've already mastered how that happens, right? So- Try not to assume. Ask. I like that. Ask and be prepared to listen and to hear what you might not be wanting to hear. Ask and listen and and be prepared to hear something you might not be happy to hear, but it's the important truth. Right. Yeah, no, that's really great. Amanda, um, what's final question? What's one thing that you wish you had always done but never got around to doing to make you a high performer? One thing that I always wish I had done, but I've never gotten around to. Oh my gosh. Do we have enough time for that? No. Um, I mean, there are so many things that I'd, I still want to do. There's a, an, a lot of traveling that I would really love to do. You know, I have teams all over the world. So my goal ultimately at some point is to visit each, you know, team and, you know, have some offsite fun. And, you know, it's not always just about work for us. You know, we're a very collegial team and Um, We genuinely really enjoy each other. And so I think that's something that I really want to do and I will get to do hopefully at some point in in the near future. Yeah, I would say probably just kind of hanging with my team and meeting them, you know, sort of where they are, something that I would like to do. Lovely. Thank you so so much for the insights. And Amanda A. Russo, um, it's been a real privilege to get to spend this time with you to learn a little bit more about the world of process consulting and how that can help businesses to be higher performers. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of The High Performance Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop a review on whichever platform you listened on. We really appreciate it and it helps us to connect with new listeners. Also, if you haven't already, head to jimmyburrows.com and download a copy of my latest bestseller, Beat Burnout, Ignite Performance. It's the leader's playbook for building a high-performance culture. 
and is packed with practical action tips to get you started. Stay tuned for next week's episode of Game Changing Insights and Ideas on the High Performance Leader.